0: To Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, aka Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 81. Let's roll. And uh, you know, we've been we've been doing a, a number of shows, you know, tiptoeing around these, these prospects. Today is an absolute fire episode, a deep dive into the running back position. And uh, you, you, you know, you guys—if you've been listening—you've heard me reference my my guest today a couple of times, especially in and around the Isaiah Spiller talk. Uh, did so with Ray GQ among other guests that I've had on, and I, I really wanted to bring him on, so I tracked him down, chased him down, and on the program with me today is none other than Noah Hills. You can find Noah on Twitter at really great tag by the way, Noah More Parties. I like that. Noah Hills, what is going on, buddy?
1: Not much. I am excited to be here. Uh, love talking running backs, so it seems like a, a good, energetic show. So it should be a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we can make it energetic, or we can just sit back like some of these other podcasts and talk about, like you know, what we had for breakfast, French toast, and all this other nonsense. Or we can just start spitting fire. I've heard you on a number of podcasts, and I really love the attitude as well as the information you are doing a great job out there so just a little bit of buttering you up before you know we get into you know the nitty-gritty so good job out there man i really i really think you're doing a great job
1: i, I appreciate that i i do my best yeah. so it's 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 always good to see when people you know appreciate what i'm doing that's it's it's good uh good ego boosting so
0: <laughs> absolutely well I, i'll try and deflate that a little later no i'm just kidding I'm, you're, you're actually this guy i actually respect in the, in the space and you know uh I think, uh, you know, your, your following is growing for all the right reasons, um, you know, so let's get into those reasons right now. I think the – we'll start with Isaiah Spiller just because it's fun and it's probably what everybody wants to hear me and you talk about. I've mentioned it a couple times. You did the uh, the, the the Isaiah Spiller, you know, sort of – I don't. it wasn't even a takedown. It was just analysis and then it felt like a takedown, I feel like, you know, because you weren't – you – the best thing, and I wish I, you know, I told everybody to go listen to it. it was on the BDGE, um, you know, um, uh, podcast. And it was like, I don't know, it was like 20 minutes, something like that. And you literally asked yourself all of the contrarian questions. You would say, well, what about this? And you went in and did the research. I loved it. It was so good. Definitely go check it out. Give me the basic, um, you know, condensed version of what you found about Isaiah Spiller and why you were, why you think what you think based off of what you found, if that's a fair way to ask the question. Yeah, I'll
1: just kind of start philosophically from like a bird's eye view. I want my running back prospects to have been more efficient than the other guys playing on their teams in college. If you're, because, you know, raw yards per carry between situations is very hard to compare. Like Kenneth Walker's averaging like seven yards a carry at Michigan State. Isaiah Spiller's averaging, you know, whatever he averaged at Texas A&M. Those situations are so different, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Those situations are so different that it's almost meaningless to try to compare them. And so, in the same way that we create market share stats, I like to establish baselines of like what sort of yardage on a given play is available in each offense, and then what is a player doing above or below that gives us an indication of how good he is relative to players in other situations. So, as it pertains to Isaiah Spiller, he was just historically inefficient relative to the other guys at Texas A and M. He wasn't producing overall relative to them on a per touch basis he wasn't succeeding on his runs like gaining a requisite amount of yards given down in distance at a high rate relative to those guys and he wasn't and 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 the argument for you know in favor of isaiah spiller from a lot of these guys was like okay well he's the lead back he's running into like heavy boxes playing in like primarily running downs and things like that defenses are keying in on him and these other guys are like gadgety type dudes being used in different ways And I looked into the data, and that just wasn't true. Uh, This this other guy on the team, Devon A-Chain, is incredibly dynamic, but he's actually seeing heavier box counts than Isaiah Spiller was. They're carrying the ball in the same same types of situations, on the same types of schemed runs, and Isaiah Spiller was still less efficient than the other guys on the team, even when A-Chain wasn't on the team, or even when you remove A-Chain from the sample. And so those arguments were initially compelling, but they turned out to just be false. And so the conclusion is... Spiller just hasn't been good relative to his teammates in college to the degree that guys like Samaje P. Ryan and Monte Ball have been in the past.
0: Yeah, you actually did that. You, you, I loved it. You you kept asking those questions like, well, yeah, he's used as a lead back, so he sees heavier boxes. Wrong. It wasn't true, right? Oh, well, he's... And I, I even loved what you did. You you were like, well, maybe he's better. He's used more uh, inside, and Devon, Devon A-Chain is better on the edges and wrong. Like, it was just... all the things that you tried to even, you know, the, the, the the criticism you heard was like, Oh, well, let me look at that. Uh, nope. You know, it was a lot of just running into like, I can't find what you guys are saying with data now, you know, look, I I don't know how else you can do it. I mean, if a guy is not as efficient against the same box on the same runs in the same team, like what else do you want me to do? Right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's kind of, you know, been a situation where like, I think some people think I'm just taking a contrarian position and then defending it with the data I have when like, I, I I didn't watch football at all last year. Like I hadn't even really heard of any of these guys before I started doing this in December. Like, I don't have any preconceived notion about whether Isaiah Spiller is supposed to be good or not. I found the data, looked like he wasn't good. People got mad. I looked into it more and he like still wasn't good. So it's like, what what else am I supposed to conclude? <laughs>
0: That's right. That's exactly right. You're like, hey, you know, what's funny, man, the first uh, the first show I did really this year was with Felix Sharp. And, you know, I I sort of pay attention, you know, uh, as these prospects come out as, you know, freshmen in college, you know, because it's like, well, which class is going to be good? So you kind of look at, you know, these guys and and Spiller as a freshman was like really good, you know, he's like over a thousand yards and, uh, you know, he was like the next guy. And, like, every year he actually got worse. You know, he scored fewer touchdowns each year and, like, whatever. He just wasn't as dominant. Certainly you'd expect a guy who was over 1,000 yards as a freshman to maybe put up 1,500 yards in a season, maybe score, you know, 15, 20 touchdowns in a season, kind of, you know, assert some dominance. But they actually used Devon A-Chain more and more. And, you know, uh, Spiller's uh, statistics sort of stayed level, if anything, if not got worse. And I asked some of my early guests, including Felix Sharp, like, what's up with that? And I think you found out what is up with that is that he wasn't the best running back on his team, which begs the question, why would he be the best running back in this class? Um, and, uh, emphatically, I don't think he is. The problem is, and we'll get into this right now is that there aren't a lot of other elite running backs either. So once you get past, in my opinion, Brees Hall, who to me is clearly the, the, the running back one, and then Maybe Kenneth Walker, and we'll get there in a moment. Then there's sort of a a bunch of dudes, and some of these guys are more exciting than others. But you know, we all know draft capital will matter. But do you kind of agree with the assertion that there's maybe a tier one, a tier two, and then other other running backs, or do you see it a little bit different?
1: Yeah, I think there's probably. I I would give it. I would divide it up a little bit more than that. I would say there's the tier one with Brees Hall. I th- I haven't fully formulated my rankings, but I'm probably going to end up with Kenneth Walker in a tier of his own at tier two, and then just from a pure talent evaluation standpoint, I'm not you know projecting draft capital. I'm not you know doing any of that kind of thing. Just who do I think are the best players? I would probably put Rashad White and Kevin Harris in a tier of their own after those guys, and then beyond that, it's a bunch of dudes. There's there's you know I'm. V- interested in players to varying degrees in that, you know, big group there, but there's not much to, you know, kind of differentiate them.
0: Yeah. I, I, well, you're sort of speaking directly at me because I mean, I've been talking about Rashad white this entire, uh, off season. So yeah, that, that, that is really comforting. And and Kevin Harris was one of those guys that when I unearthed him, I moved him all the way up I think to like running back five or six in my rankings and we have a community rankings like there's five or four or five of us in the in our undroppables group uh ranking chat and everything and you know there's a couple like Kevin Harris and I'm like I don't fucking know you know like, <laughs> like it wasn't like oh for sure Kevin Harris but I did like what I saw but you know even in in that it's like you know you look at Kevin Harris's final season it was not exactly that spectacular. I think he was like four something to carry and, you know, so, but I know he was hurt and, but also injuries matter to these NFL teams. It also matters like in real life, like if he's actually not a healthy person, then therefore probably not a very good NFL running back. Right. You know, so there's a lot of factors. And even when you talk about Kevin Harris having this, I think he does have that uh, sort of high, much higher end ceiling as a three down back in the NFL than does some of the other players that we'll get to. But There's still some concerns there, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And the the thing with Kevin Harris is that his sophomore season was incredible. He got hurt at the end of it and then came back this year, was splitting time a little bit more with Saquandre White. I think he probably wasn't as healthy as he was. He wasn't as productive. He wasn't as efficient. And so the thing with him is like in a perfect world, if he is fully healthy, if he's the guy we saw in 2020 – I, he's right there with Kenneth Walker for me as one of the best peer runners in this class. But like time, it, it, there's like a line of time. It's not just random dots. We can't just like move his sophomore season and say that that happened most recently because it didn't. Things happened in between, you know, then and now that should change our evaluation. And so you have to, have to hedge a little bit with like, well, maybe he's never going to be that guy again. And, you know, we still haven't seen him run a 40. We don't know how fast he is at this point. So There are are those different elements that make it difficult, but yeah, at his peak, I think he's one of the best players in this class, but we don't know if he's going to be at his peak, so you can't just assume that he is that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like, um, yeah, he put up a a tremendous true sophomore season and just for the people listening at home hopefully that's all of you uh you know 185 carries uh, over 1100 yards over six yards a carry 15 touchdowns on the ground 21 receptions so just a you know 1300 yards of uh, of total scrimmage yards and only 10 games so really really great sophomore season I guess he hurt his back I'm not a doctor I know that's hard to believe but and then this past year was just a really awful year Um, you know, didn't see as many carries per game, not nearly as many, you know, just didn't see quite the production at all. Only scored four touchdowns was just over four yards a carry only 11 catches, like really, really ugly season in terms of production. Uh, you know, again, I haven't watched, you know, sophomore versus junior tape to figure who knows. I mean, you know, and I don't even know if that's worth my while. You're right. If he runs out, if he goes out and runs a four, four something at his pro day, all of a sudden we can start getting excited. If he runs over a four-six, maybe he's just another guy. And we I don't know. It's really tough to tell. But in this draft class, to my point, it's like even when we're saying that these are the third and fourth best running backs in the class, that's not saying very much when you have to make some excuses. And for Rashad White, my gosh, what an absolute uh producer i've heard some of my favorite film guys say he's one of the better in between the tackles runners which of course if that's ends up being true then he is clearly the rb3 if not maybe the rb2 would you make a case for rashad white to move all the way up to rb2 pre-draft and then are, do you have a, a you know i suppose i'm a dynasty show so you know in dynasty we know that uh you know, if if he goes in day three, Rashad White, that is, of the NFL draft, his chances of success diminish greatly. So uh, do do you kind of agree with that? I mean, does this make you hesitate in putting him, you know, as high as you have him? Because that's only hesitation for me. If you told me he was going to get drafted in the second round, he'd easily be my RB2. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. And I think part of where there's like a little bit of disconnect between what I'm doing And my messaging, I guess, and what most people like near me in this space are doing is that most people are ranking these players as like potential dynasty assets. And I am much more just evaluating them as players. And so Mm. like a lot of people are interested in like Brian Robinson, because it looks like he's going to be drafted highly. I'm not that interested because I don't think he's that good of a player. But if I was giving you dynasty advice, obviously he's, you know, you know, pick him over Keonta Ingram or whatever, a guy who I think is better, but who probably won't get drafted as highly. So as that relates to Rashad White, I think there is this sense that the NFL doesn't seem to be as interested in him as we do, um, or as we are, (laughs) and and, and which is concerning. But just in a vacuum, you know, from evaluating him, he was, you know, productive at Mount SAC, uh, the community the community college he went to, he was productive in a short season the the COVID twenty twenty year, and then he came back this season he was, and was really productive in again. That season, yeah, and he yeah he was
0: outrageous in that season.
1: Yes, and and he's efficient on the ground. He's a dynamic pass catcher. He's got workhorse size. There's not a lot of holes in his game. Um, and and you mentioned that some film guys have mentioned that he's uh good between the tackles. I've actually seen the opposite, so there might be a little bit of a you know kind of a lack of consensus there. Um, that I've seen he's there is you know, maybe more athlete than runner as far as you know, between the tackles and you know kind of instinctive play goes. So that's a question that I have, and it and, and that's borne out in the numbers a little bit. um he's he's a really efficient overall, His relative success rate, which just kind of measures like how often is he, you know succeeding on his runs relative to his teammates. Um so kind of ignoring the impact of big plays and things like that, he's pretty low there. It's in like the fortieth percentile. Um, so he's not great there, but he's got you know big plays, good overall efficiency. And so I think he's like a dynamic player. I'm not sure if he'll ever be, you know, the three down like workhorse type back that it seems he could be given his kind of bird's eye view profile. But yeah, if, if Kevin Walker, Kevin, if Kenneth Walker is not my RB2, I think I would have to pivot to Rashad White just because he doesn't have the size or pass catching concerns that Kenneth Walker does. And he's an efficient runner.
0: Yeah, talk about I'd, I'd love to touch base uh, uh, uh some of your st- some of the statistics that you use is like uh, 10 yard run rate and um, uh, 10 yard runs that are converted to 20 yard runs. I, I really like this data um, and describe how you use that data and its utility and trying to figure out what type of players do. Uh, do one or the other if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um so yeah, 10 yard run rate, I call it chunk rate, I guess, for whatever reason. But um before I had access to this box count data, that was kind of the metric I was using just to indicate like how how consistent is a guy, um, you know, outside of the context of producing big runs. And so it's it's honestly not very good at that because if you're reaching the secondary, you you made a big run, but it shows you how often a guy is doing that. And so for these guys who I don't have box count data for, it's kind of a proxy for relative success rate at this point for me. And it's worth keeping around because a lot of the historical prospects don't have box count data, but the breakaway right. conversion rate, which measures how often are you converting a 10 yard run into a 20 yard run? I see a lot of people referencing things like. Uh, PFFs like uh, I think it's called explosive run rate, which is just like 15 15 yard run rate, or people reference like 20 mm. yard run rate for for producing big plays. But that doesn't really tell you who's good in the open field. It just tells you who's getting to the open field. And so I right. want to look at once you're already in the open field, how often are guys converting those into like extended long runs down the field? And so 10-yard runs, how often are you turning those into 20-yard runs rather than just, you know, from the line of scrimmage to 20? It's it, it's just it's just a different measurement. And in wanting to isolate right. specific traits, I think it's a little bit better than just like raw breakaway run rate.
0: Right. And like 10, you know, I think I heard you describe the 10 yard run rate as how good are you navigating the line of scrimmage. And 10 yard run rate converted into 20 yard run rate is how good are you at navigating the secondary? I mean, basically, I mean, you know, of course it's not exactly that, but it is exact kind of exactly that. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That that's essentially what it's meant to do. And yeah, obviously there's, you know, caveats sometimes you have a, a run from the 15 yard line that you've taken for a touchdown and you didn't you know quote unquote convert it into a breakaway run you just didn't have the opportunity to but you know every player right. has that caveat in their sample of runs and so over the long run i think it generally shows you who is doing the best in the open field
0: yeah talk about the box count uh stat that you were just referencing
1: yeah so i uh in, as part of the whole Isaiah Spiller experience, um, I developed this metric called box adjusted efficiency rating, which essentially looks at like team relative yards per carry against each box count. So, how are you doing relative to your teammates against like five man boxes, against six man boxes, against seven man boxes? And then, using a weighted average of how many carries you had against each box count, it produces like a percentage that indicates to what degree are you outperforming or underperforming the per carry output of your teammates. And so, there's, you know, we see a lot of times like Duke Johnson is really efficient, but he's only carrying the ball in on passing downs against like light fronts and things like that. Whereas a guy like, I don't know, Jordan Howard is running, yeah. you know, exclusively into heavy boxes on first and second down. It's difficult to compare the efficiency of those two guys. But if you account for right. how they're doing within the context of the box counts that they're seeing and then producing a, a weighted score based on their specific role. Now we get an indication of like how efficient they actually are given their role, given the difficulty of the carries that they're seeing.
0: Bingo. So how do you – these are basically percentiles uh, of this stat, right? So, you know, for instance, where, who, who ranked highest in this class in, in, in that uh, metric? If- in
1: box-adjusted efficiency rating, I believe it is – let me just scroll here. Uh, yeah, Kenneth Walker was the highest in the class in box adjusted efficiency rating and he was second in the class in relative success rate which is the same it's weighted in the same way but it doesn't look at an average it looks at it's a rate stat based on how often are you succeeding on your runs given down a distance and so that's kind of the measure of consistency where box adjusted efficiency rating is overall efficiency and so using the two in tandem kind of tells you like who's efficient overall and then some guys might not have like the open field juice, but they're succeeding on their carries despite lesser efficiency. And so that still has some value. So using the two in tandem with each other I think is helpful. And Kenneth Walker was number one in box-adjusted efficiency rating, number two in relative success rate. Damian Pierce in this class is number one in relative
0: success rate. Interesting, Damian Pierce. The, the film watchers love him. And yes. I think – so does the data guys now. I mean, the, when we look deeper, the data guys do. I, when I first, I swear, someone had told me Damian Pierce, I looked up like just his like player page and I was like, forget it, moved on. I was like, what are you <laughs> talking about? This guy ain't nothing. But right, because it's like it, the the raw stats are just not there at all. You're like, forget it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then I took a deeper dive. And as you're pointing out here, there he is. I think this also backs up what we were, what the story we tell about Kenneth Walker, because you know, I've been asking. You know, there's certainly been multiple jokes as to whether or not this guy is half Chubb or not. You know, <laughs> if he's, is he quarter Chubb, three quarters Chubb? I'm not sure how much Kenneth Walker is Nick Chubb, but that's the guy we need him to be in order for him to really hit, or we need him to be an outlier in the pass catching you know, and actually be a Melvin Gordon type who didn't catch passes in college, but will at the pro level, like, or some combination of those two things. But we really just don't want a two down grinder as our RB two. But he is an exemplary runner of the football as evidenced by the film, as evidenced by the raw stats and now evidenced by the, you know, the deeper look at uh, his performance on a per play basis. So you know, that's about what we're seeing with Kenneth Walker. Anything else? that Can you whisper any sweet nothings to me about pass catching or anything else about Kenneth Walker to make me excited?
1: I can't really. And I've wanted to get on board. <laughs> he's such yeah. a good runner. And it, so it's so frustrating. And it's so hard that he's like undersized by a bit. And he doesn't catch passes, which is generally not a good combination. Like like the half Chubb stuff right. makes some sense because he's he's not as big as Nick Chubb even if they are similar right. players. And so it's difficult to say, like, this guy's going to be a high-volume runner when he's not even average size for an NFL running back. And the successful running backs at his size are like Dalvin Cook, Miles Sanders to a certain degree, guys like that who are pluses in the passing game and Kenneth Walker just at this point isn't. And as far as sweet nothings, right. I I don't have many to whisper. Like, I've, I've seen <sighs> the argument where, you know, he was only bad or he was only – a low-volume receiver because they don't throw to the running backs, which, okay, that might be compelling. But then in that case, if he's actually a good receiver despite that, we'd expect him to be efficient on the targets he did receive, and he was not. And then the retort to that I've seen is, but his quarterback was terrible, and so... And then I look at something like true catch rate, which only looks at his catchable targets. So we're ignoring the times when his quarterback fucked him over, and he's not even efficient when passes are catchable, he's not catching a high percentage of them. He's not efficient on those targets. Mm-hmm. He's not being moved around the formation. The degree of difficulty of his passes is very low. He's just catching like screens and checkdowns and things like that. And it is still possible that there's some sort of like secret hidden ability he has that just wasn't tapped Correct. into at all. But right? why are we trying to make this argument for this one guy just because we happen to like him otherwise when nearly every Correct. other player with his receiving profile those hypotheticals can equally be applied to them. And almost none of them turned out to be good receivers in the NFL.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. That's why Noah Hills is fantastic. That right there. That's what you try and tell people. And look, there's a question there, you know, and I've heard the, 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 uh, the counterpoint to all of that completely, you know, very smart um, retort is, um, yeah, but you know, have you seen him at the pro day? Have you seen him at the combine? He looked really smooth. It's like, well, of course he did. He's an he's an NFL prospect. He, if, what do you think? It's just going to hit him in the face? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's an elite level, right? You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. Like, just, he doesn't have ping pong paddles for hands. Like, he actually does have actual human hands, and when they throw it to him with no coverage, in a controlled environment in his underpants, he's able to catch it. Not surprised at all about that. And he's an exemplary athlete. So yeah, he looks good doing it too. None of that means that he's going to be good in the NFL at catching the ball. And one, one point I'll go further. And this one is the one that I think is almost more important is does the team that drafts him, see him as a pass catcher? Because it doesn't matter if you're a good pass catcher, whispers Derek henry if you can't if you're not on the field uh running routes when it's passing downs like that that's it you know i mean you look at damian harris he's not in the game to catch passes therefore he doesn't catch passes he may be outstanding doesn't fucking matter
1: yeah, yeah, I, I think you kind of hit it on the head there. I, I, I'm i beginning to get to the point because receiving ability is the hardest thing to evaluate for me right now with, with these running back prospects because the baseline we have basically is like how many passes did you catch? But that doesn't capture very right. much of like your actual ability. Jay Ajayi caught like 50 Correct. passes at Boise State in his final year. He's not a three-down back. They just fed him the ball on checkdowns because he was their best player. So that doesn't tell you anything really. And so you... I'm getting to the point where you don't just have to be a you don't have to just check the box like, okay this guy can catch check. You have to be a positive contributor on passing downs enough to the point where like they don't have a better option because given, you know, reasonably effective run blocking, we can swap out Derrick Henry for, you know, Dontrell Hilliard on a passing down. And he can take a draw for eight yards just like Derrick Henry could, but he also poses a threat in the passing game. So if, if Kenneth Walker... He could, he could be fine as a pass catcher, but if he's not adding something, he's still going to be pulled off the field on third downs. The guys who play Bingo. a lot on third down and catch a lot of passes in the NFL are very rare. Joe Mixon's one of the best college receivers we've ever seen at running back. He doesn't get passing down work because they figure they have Giovanni Bernard and Travion Williams or sometimes Samaje fucking Ryan, who can do it better. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Ideally, you want your, you know, your full skill set guy on the field all the time. But NFL coaches don't do that.
0: Correct. Yeah, they should be spelling Joe Mixon on early downs, not on third downs. Right, exactly. Put your yeah. best player on the field in the highest leverage spots. And you can't tell me that Samaj AP Ryan is a better pass-catching Running back than Joe Mixon, so you're right. You run into also coaching lunacy at the same time. Uh, Ian Harditz does a does a podcast at, uh, every every week, and they talk about the utility of all these running backs and the usage. And then uh, I can't remember the guy's name; it's killing me. But one of the guys on his team does a a full report every week, and he'll talk about uh, usage on early downs, usage on short downs, short down and distance usage on goal line usage on third downs usage on third and long, usage in the 2 minute, usage in all these uh no huddle hurry up offense, they talk about which running backs are being used on the field in these down in these uh, game scenarios. And what that really goes to show you is that there isn't just an NFL depth chart. There's you know running back 1, running back 2, running back there. No, no, no. There is goal line running back 1 running back 2 running back 3 there's third down running back 1 running back 2 running back 3 there's you know uh no huddle there's hurry up there's uh short yardage there's all these different things and then there's a, a a a depth chart and some guys are number one on all of them you know it's like no matter what the what's going on you're in every down you know but most of these uh most of these teams will have you know hey Naheem Hines is actually the hurry up offense Uh, you know, running back one over Jonathan Taylor, that doesn't mean he's better. It just means that that's how they're using him. So all of this utilization is something that you have to be considering when you're trying to pick a prospect. And it doesn't matter what you and I think. It matters also what the NFL is going to think of them. I.e. Kenny Gainwell last year. I know a lot of people were super high on Kenny Gainwell. I love Kenny Gainwell, but I also was ready for the fact that they weren't going to see him that way. And I turned out to be completely correct because you have to be looking for that same thing happens here with Kenneth Walker is he going to be thought of and utilized early on especially as a third down back probably not
1: yeah I agree and and I come back to the argument like even if we're willing to concede that like let's say he's a good pass catcher given his you know kind of resume as a college receiver him being a good pass catcher probably looks like him simply being not a terrible pass catcher. And so <laughs> yeah, exactly. the, the threshold for him, you know, being a positive contributor there, like his range of outcomes might be wide. We might, you know, because there's a small sample, they didn't use him a lot. We might be willing to say like there's Correct. there's a, a large range of outcomes for him, but it doesn't really extend into the like three down back territory, given that he was bad right. when
0: he was used as a receiver. Right. We would be surprised to know like that he got 75 targets, uh, you know, ever in his career. Be like, wow, amazing. You know, whereas, you know, right. So Brees Hall, you'd be like, oh, that, yeah, that checks. You know what I mean? So exactly. So, uh, you know, enough of that, but let's move on. So Kenneth Walker does sh- prove to be the, the best box adjusted efficiency, uh, you know, player in your database. And you mentioned another one, Damian Pierce, I'd love for you to just sort of, you know, maybe just peek at the top there and maybe share some interesting, uh, you know, uh, players toward the top or, you know, cause I, I don't have it in front of me. So tell us, you know, what you see there and w- what's interesting to you, what stood out.
1: Yeah. Generally the guys who you would kind of expect to be at the top are at the top of this list. Uh, Rashad White's up there. Um, who else we got? Brees Hall is up there. Uh, Tyler Algier is up there, and then some guys like uh, Zonovan Knight. Bam Knight has a pretty good mm. box-adjusted efficiency yeah. rating. Abram Smith from Baylor is pretty nice. Huh. Um, that's a yeah. That's about it, as far as I would say, of guys who are like truly impressive in this class. Kevin Harris um, meets that threshold, I think, and Max Borgie although I'm not confident in my evaluations of anybody coming out of Washington state, just cause that, that system is so right. weird. Um, and yes, they really only use yeah, they really only used Borgie. And so, you know, kind of one, one criticism of the way I'm doing things is like, if one guy is like exclusively the running back, what else do we have to compare him to? And that, that fits with Borgie. There's not really much, much there. So, but yeah, Abram Smith, Algier, uh, Bam Knight, all guys who were very efficient relative to their teammates in college. Kevin Harris, all up there.
0: Who are some of the guys that, you know, when you look at, toward the bottom, obviously Isaiah Spiller. I mean, is he legendarily bad, number one? But number two, who are some of the other guys that you're like, hey, you might be surprised to see X here?
1: Yeah, Isaiah Spiller is, I would, among like high volume guys who are allegedly good, Isaiah Spiller is historically bad. There, there are some guys who are also bad, like C.J. Verdell is bad. Uh, Tristan Ebner from Baylor is bad. But these are guys that nobody's really into anyway, so it makes sense. Right. But some other guys who are, who are low on this list are like Brian Robinson. He's high in relative success rate, low in Bay rating. So he's kind of got that feature to his game where he's not – a super dynamic like big play guy his efficiency overall isn't very good but i think he's a good like instinctive runner at the line of scrimmage um things like that yeah and then players like master teague um is not good zamir white is similar (laughs) to uh brian robinson in that he's not creating a lot of big plays but he's you know showing good vision you know whatever the things are that allow him to produce positive outcomes he's doing that at a consistent you know level which is kind of weird contrasted with his 4-4 four, four speed. You'd kind of think of him
0: the, the, as being the opposite. This is my question. Like, yeah, like, Zamir White was way down my board. Here's the thing. When I, I – I, again, I did the, the back of the napkin – research that you're doing in depth which is why i love you and when i did the back of the napkin stuff i was like fuck samir white this guy is a two down plotter who you know just doesn't ever pop big runs like why do i want this guy he's probably going to run a four six five he's been hurt he was a, an elite prospect coming out of high school but i I think he's just sort of a maybe a maybe one of those guys who like developed early and now he's getting passed by. He's nobody. And then he runs a four four. And I'm like, what? So, like, wh- I mean, I know you can't explain it, but how why can't a guy who runs a four four ever break a long run in a team on a team that was like, you know, had other great players around? Him? It just doesn't make any sense. I can't figure out what to do with Zamir White as a prospect. What what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of at the same place. Um, He definitely looked like a two-down plotter to me. He obviously doesn't have much to offer in the passing game, so that's just kind of, you know, take that for granted. He's not a three-down guy. But as a runner, um, you know, he breaks tackles at kind of an average degree. He's not converting, you know, 10-yard runs into 20-yard runs, so he's not great in the open field. He's not reaching the secondary as often as other guys at Georgia are. He's he's succeeding to a greater degree than them in uh, against like eight and nine man boxes. So he's very good in like obvious running situations, short yardage, things like that. And his relative success rate is high. And so I think he is a good running back. You know, the the things that like film guys like, you know, good vision and mental processing and, you know, whatever the fuck else words they use (laughs) <laughs> Zamir White is good at those things, but the four four is nowhere to be found in his like on field metrics, and so it right. is. It, it's a little bit difficult to kind of reconcile those things, and I think people who are like these speed score zealots who see a two hundred seventeen pound guy run a four four, like oh shit, top three running back. It's like okay, but was he actually good on the field? And in some cases, yes, like there's, there's value in being a good, you know, having, having good vision and making good decisions and the right reads and producing positive outcomes on a consistent basis, but he wasn't efficient overall relative to his teammates. And that's not a great sign. I think he is a two down plotter with this weird caveat that he's also fast.
0: (laughs) Right. It's, it's just hard for me. I mean, it's, it's funny because it like doesn't make any sense, um, You, you, uh, you point out the, uh, the, the, the size speed zealots. I may have something to do with these people out there. I do the anatomy of a, of a top 16 or top running back every year. Um, and ultimately I just try and I take the, the geek talk and I, you know, try and boil it down to like, if you're looking for an elite running back, what are some of the characteristics they have? And, and then of course, you know what these things are, but one of them is size and speed. You do want a guy who's big and fast but that's not the only thing that you want. You, you know, you would like to see that I'd rather have someone that's a little undersized, i.e., Kenneth Walker that checks a whole lot more boxes. But one of the other boxes is receptions. Uh, JJ Zacharyson actually just put out a little, uh, you know, thread today on, uh, Kenneth Walker. It was really good. I I retweeted it. I I didn't read the entire thing. It was pretty good though. Uh, there was a, there was a, someone had sent it to me. So I, I, I read a, a bit of it and then, uh, took care of the kids this morning because of course i've got a million things going on but uh he was he w- he looked at like traditionally uh you know running backs in the like like last 10 years that were that had a a less than an eight percent target share in college versus running backs drafted in the in day two that had a greater than an eight percent target share and then their subsequent performance in the nfl uh on, in a fantasy uh, perspective not 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 a rushing yards perspective but a fantasy scoring perspective and it was not close of course as you would already know and so that was his sort of cautionary tale for Kenneth Walker I think the exact same thing can be said about Zamir White but even more amplified because he also didn't let that 4-4 speed show on the field whereas Kenneth Walker he showed all sorts of shit on the field you know
1: yeah yeah and I think part of part of the disconnect between like fantasy guys and just player evaluators or like NFL guys is the value that Zamir white brings exists. Like he, there are things that he does well that bring value to an NFL team. They just don't happen to be things that are incredibly valuable in fantasy football. We want bingo high weighted opportunities, short yardage, you know, unless it's on the goal line, like, first and second down runs in short yard situations where Zamir white excels are not high weighted opportunity situations to gain fantasy points. We want our guys catching passes a lot. We want them scoring touchdowns. Those are hard to predict. Zamir white is going to be a useful plays. Yeah. 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 Zamir white's going to be a useful and effective member of a committee in the NFL. He's going to be a good NFL player. He's probably not going to be nearly as good for your fantasy team.
0: That's exactly right. Um, when we look at guys who might profile a little bit closer, you would mentioned him. You mentioned two guys. I'll, I'll I'll talk about. Well, let me talk about. Hmm, I want to talk about Keontae Ingram first. Um, I really like Keontae Ingram. Kyle Larson, uh, our Devi guy, and Draft Nick, and you know, young Phenom at the Undroppables also likes Keontae Ingram. Um, what do you think about? Keontae Ingram, and do you have any inkling as to whether or not the NFL will like him enough to make him relevant for us to draft in our fantasy drafts?
1: I yeah, I don't have much of a a sense of what the NFL feels about Keontae Ingram. I just I just had a video drop today on the BDGE uh, YouTube channel about guys who I think are going to be <laughs> over drafted based on the the data in like the Grinding the Mocks database, um, which is kind of an yeah. aggregate of of mock draft data and. Ingram was not in the top 10 there. I don't I don't even know if I saw him. They only have 14 running backs there right now. So he might he might get drafted, he might not. I'm not sure, but I do like him. He's he's similar to Damian Pierce in that he was like an underutilized guy who was like a th- he has a three-down skill set. He's got a workhorse body type and he was a relatively efficient runner, maybe not overall given that he's not like a big play guy, but Again, like coming back to like relative success rate, he was succeeding relative to his teammates to a high degree, um, reaching the secondary very often. Not converting big plays once he gets there, I just think that's not his game. But he breaks tackles, he catches passes. He was used fairly dynamically in the passing game. He's got good hands. He's two hundred twenty pounds. He runs a four five. Like I think he's just he checks all of the like. Can he do it on the field boxes? He checks all of those. He doesn't have great production. You know, he doesn't have like super high receptions, totals and things like that, even though, you know, they're they're fairly good. But from a like if I'm just an NFL evaluator, which I'm obviously not. But if I was and I'm just looking at like which guys in this class have full skill sets, Keonta Ingram is one of them. And there are not yeah, many.
0: He's way down there. He, he's way down there. I think you mentioned grinding the mocks. Another one is NFL mock draft database. They basically all do the same thing. I'm just going to count real quick. 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. He is running back 26 off the board in average mock drafts, which is way the fuck down there. That's I egregious. I mean, way, well past a lot of guys. It's egregious, right? So like, you know, pick 276, basically, you know, borderline undrafted player. I think he's definitely better than that. Right. And you know, there's a lot of guys that I'm sure that you don't like that are well ahead of them, but it's also one of these, I, I mentioned this, it's one of these, um, classes where there's actually a lot of guys that have some utility. One of the utilities and, and, and that, that I think is interesting is the, it's the group of like, first of all, talk about overdrafted. I mean, let me just see if you're going to say the same person. Who do you think is the number one overdrafted running back, both in um, the real NFL and currently in, um, uh, you know, dynasty rookie drafts?
1: Um, It's either Brian Robinson or Isaiah Spiller for me.
0: Outside of Isaiah Spiller, Brian James Robinson Cook? is there for sure. James Cook. James Cook is, feels way overdrafted to me. I, you know, he, yeah, I think uh, Nick or Colano, I think mentioned this too. I think I heard him say it, but I agree hundred percent. He does not, he, just because he's Dalvin's brother doesn't mean he's fucking Dalvin cook. He's smaller. He's a third down back. He's never had more than I think 10 or 11 carries in a single game in his entire career. Like, you know, maybe 12, I forget the number but It was low, it, you know, he's not used that way in, in college. He's very unlikely to be used that way in the pros. I mean, His ceiling is like uh, Kenny Gainwell. What about these guys? There's a bunch of them, you know, James Cook, Tyler Beatty, um, Tyler Goodson, and Ely. Some of these guys that, uh, you know, profile is just sort of pass catching backs and not much more. They're not going to be three down backs in the NFL. What are your thoughts about some of these guys and and James Cook specifically, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think with these small guys, I'm generally looking for dudes who give some indication that they can be like a three down back at the next level. And, I don't really give a shit about how big they are. I know the NFL gives gives a shit about that. And so we kind of have to care if we're talking about fantasy football. Yes. But I'm looking for guys who like, yes, these guys are all good pass catchers. Which which of them ran the ball effectively as the lead back? And none of those guys did. Tyler Beatty wasn't good there. Uh, Jerry and Ely didn't have that role. James Cook didn't have that role. Uh, Max Borgie's situation was wonky. Uh, Tyler Goodson didn't run the ball effectively. And so at this point, I'm kind of at the point where like, okay, none of these guys are three down back. So just who is the best satellite back among them. And to me, that's James Cook. He was, you know, moved around the formation all over the place. He was targeted downfield, super explosive, super dynamic. But what utility does that have in fantasy football? I don't know that I'm willing to say he'll be overdrafted in the NFL because, I think that role has some value, um, especially with a creative coach. You know, if you can get him with like a Matt LaFleur who's going to use him as the jet sweep guy and involve him, you know, in the backfield as well as, you know, on kick returns and, you know, split out wide and things like that, that can add a lot of value to an NFL team. He could probably even threaten deep with his speed. But for fantasy football, we're hoping for Chris Thompson. We're hoping for Naeem Hines. And those guys are what, like desperation RB three starts when like everybody else is hurt or on <laughs> right. a buy, like who gives a shit?
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, he's going as the, uh, RB five in, you know, the mock draft database here and, and rising, uh, he's in the top 100 picks on these, uh, on uh, pick 86. Like, you know, so he's, you know, day, day two pick, um, I just don't know, man. You know, it's it's going to be interesting. I know that these mock drafts are not always—I mean, they're not correct ever, you know—but they do lend some credence to you know what the NFL is thinking. I know there's a, a lot of these mocks that are probably pretty well uninformed, so maybe it's better if you could have like a an elite, like you know, a mock draft database where it's just some of the people who are good at this shit. Um, I, I don't know if does grinding the mocks do that.
1: Grinding the mocks, I, I'm not sure what they're like aggregated kind of like expected draft position accounts for but on their little charts it has it 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 kind of delineates between a fan mock draft a media mock draft and an expert mock draft so there there is that distinction mm. being made somewhere in the process but yeah i i agree with what you said but it's kind of the best indication we have of draft capital at this point there's nothing really else to go off of so
0: james cook is the running back four on grinding the mocks yeah that, he is that, that hurts Yeah. The helmet matters, man. I just don't know, man. You know, look, obviously if he gets the draft capital, you're going to have to consider him, but you know, I'm looking at James cook as like, just a sort of like, just like you said, the utility, I think that's important for a fantasy football player to understand too, is like you said it about Zamir white. Like he's going to be an NFL player that I say this about wide receivers too. Like, is he a deep thread? Is he a slot guy? Does he play all over the place, is he an outside, you know, uh, clash or like, what kind of player are you drafting, and and how does that equate to fantasy football? I'd certainly rather have James Cook than you know just a two down grinder in in fantasy football. At least you have the the out of uh, J D McKissick or Naheem Hines or James White. But you know, I mean, generally these guys are just sort of spell. And you know, not every, not every team has one of those three guys, right? You know what I mean? There's there's pass catching backs on some of these teams that you know don't do much you know that are basically you know nobody so and some of them are on teams where it's dalvin cook where you're not getting on the field at all so you know some of these guys are just going to be um you know sort of eviscerated and and not utilized very much yeah kick returns what the fuck you know there's no there's no kick return points per kick return i mean some of you guys play in the <laughs> stupid ass leagues but no thank you right
1: yeah yeah, yeah and, and and the. The uh, distinction you just made between like you'd rather have a James Cook than a Zamir White, I think that decision really comes down to. I, I think in a lot of cases that the PPR guy there is the higher floor. Whereas, like, Zamir White as a committee member, let's say he gets drafted to, I don't know, Detroit or something, and it's him and DeAndre Swift reunited in the Lions backfield, and DeAndre Swift goes down. Zamir White might get yeah. 20 carries over the next, you know, for the next six games, you know, per game. So he could he could have an RB1 yes. stretch, whereas if James Cook goes to I don't know, wherever the fuck, uh and 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 his starting yeah. running back goes the down. The Giants.
0: Yeah. yeah, the Giants and Saquon gets hurt, he's still not gonna get the he's not gonna get all of it, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. His ceiling is capped to that uh utility. Whereas you're right, as Zamir White, if somehow, some way the C's part for him, he could be you know uh he could have quite a bit of the of the share of of a, of a running back uh, backfield so yeah i i agree 100 the the that's the utility of a player that's what you have to be considering but to to say that a guy like zamir white is all of a sudden going to be a three down player and catch passes when clearly nobody thought that ever about him in college is is a leap it's definitely possible <laughs> You know, but only in the way that you know Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance, like only like that. It's not like something to be predicted. Same thing with Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce is really uh, quite an interesting player. He, you know, like I like I had mentioned before, his um, his raw box stats are unimpressive, um, but he's looking like he's going to get draft capital. The NFL loves him. All the scouts love him, Thor Nystrom loved him. When I talked to him when he was at the senior bowl, he thought he was a, you know, clearly the sort of the alpha dog there in terms of, uh, the running backs. What do we think about Damian Pierce? I mean, do you see anything in his profile that where he could be, you know, sort of a, a a three down back and, and maybe bring, return some value in fantasy?
1: I do. I, I've, completely flipped on Damian Pierce. I was, you know, I I saw the, the raw counting numbers, his, his kind of raw efficiency numbers didn't look great to me at first glance. And so I kind of dismissed him, but I've come around to the point where he is like built like a rock. This dude has like a Mark Ingram body type and he was, you know, he's a tackle breaker. He's not a big play guy either, but he, I think is a quality, like instinctive runner. Um, just, He's he's not taking negative plays. He's gonna be a net positive for an NFL team in the running game. And then outside of James Cook, even considering all of the satellite back types in this class, Damian Pierce might be the most might have been used the most dynamically as a receiver in college. He was split out wider in the slot, I think almost twenty-five percent of the time. Let me find it here. Yeah, twenty-four percent of the time. He was targeted downfield. His a-dot is one point seven yards, and he was very efficient on those targets he caught a high percentage of them especially considering that they were advanced targets like out of the backfield split out wide in the slot downfield i think he's he might be the second best receiver in this draft class beyond james cook hmm. even though his role and like his target share numbers and receptions totals wouldn't suggest that. So I think he, he definitely has three down utility and I don't think he'll get drafted to be like a lead back immediately, but he's a guy who, you know, kind of like a Devante Freeman almost where if they have another running back who just like, isn't quite getting it done or gets hurt or whatever, he could step in and be one of these surprise, like RB one level producers on a decent team because he's just good at everything.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Actually. I think he's definitely the, a sneaky, Uh, a sneaky guy in this class, because here's the thing, he's also going to get draft capital. So when you sort of factor in all of those things into one, he starts to look good. Again, you know, he he doesn't look exactly like an elite running back would look, but you know, if you squint a little bit, he starts to come into focus. Another guy that, um, you know, transferred, but was an Alabama recruit, uh, but just sort of saw the writing on the wall was Jerome Ford, who went to Cincinnati and had a pretty good a pretty good season once he found a clear path to opportunity. Um, obviously, being behind the all the backs at um, uh, at Alabama was not best for him. What are your thoughts about Jerome Ford?
1: Yeah, Jerome Ford is interesting in the same way that Chuba Hubbard was interesting. I think they're very similar players. They're both relatively tall and skinny. They're both, you know, kind of like used in the passing game to, you know, kind of a base level, but not great there. And they're both like boom bust runners with athleticism. And so I think he's, he's sort of a tweener in like the Chuba Hubbard, Tevin Coleman mold, where he's not big enough to be like a lead, you know, two down back and he's not good enough as a receiver to really be any team's best option there. Like he's probably going to get pulled off the field on third downs, even though he's not terrible at it. So it's like, what exactly does he do? If he ends up, he's the kind of guy that I I feel like San Francisco or maybe like Miami would love where he's got the straight line speed. He can find a hole, you know, make a cut and just go and be gone. You know, he's bigger than Matt Breed and Raheem Mostert, but like the same like Elijah Mitchell type guy, where I'm not super excited about him in a vacuum, but if he gets in the right situation, he could be useful. But it's hard to it's hard to just bank on that. So I'm I don't know. I think he's fine. I think given his body type and his skill set, he doesn't really fit a clearly defined like role in the NFL outside of a few like specific situations.
0: Yeah, he. We talk about the BMI. He was 5'11, 2'10. Uh You certainly like to see a, a running back over two hundred pounds. He's over two, well, two ten. So that's good. Uh, but he is a little taller at five eleven. Puts his BMI at twenty nine three. The sort of the research shows that these these guys that tend to be you know all purpose backs, except for like literally like Christian McCaffrey's one that was under thirty, but he's fucking Christian McCaffrey. Um, you know. Generally, these guys that find their way to be all-purpose elite backs in the NFL are over 30. He's close enough, but not quite. Um, And, you know, he did have some pass-catching utility. He also seemed to, I don't know, what was the, uh, I don't know if you have it in front of you, what was his a dot in the passing game? Because he was like, I think, 10 yards a catch or something like that. So, was he used a little bit further downfield or was he just making plays? Cause he did have yards per carry uh, yards per catch. Excuse
1: Yeah. Me. He was used a little bit down the field. He, his eight is 1.5, which is pretty good. That's, that's pretty high in this class. And he was catching yeah. a large percentage of his passes. So I don't think he has a problem with his hands. I just, I just think he's one of those guys who like, he's going to be okay in the passing game. He's not going to be anybody's best option there. And given that he's not like some sort of no doubt guy, otherwise, I don't, I don't see any reason for an NFL team to, you know, force him onto the field on third down.
0: And then it, and then the last guy I wanted to mention was Tyler Algier. You mentioned him as one of the more efficient Bay, which is of course a great uh, acronym for box adjusted efficiency rating, but one of the best Bay runners uh, in that metric. Um, Talk a little bit about Tyler Algier. I was getting pretty excited about Tyler Algier early in the process and, it's sort of starting to wear off. I don't know. It's just because he's my old, you know, my old fling. I need it. I need some, I need some, you know, some newness in my life, but uh, talk me back into or, or help me get off of Tyler Algier here.
1: Yeah. I think I could pretty easily talk myself into or out of Tyler Algier. I think he is. Yeah, right. That's yeah, right Ben. Yeah. He's kind of a, the way I think about him is he's sort of like a cousin of this, like David Montgomery, Zach Moss family tree of running backs where he's, a bigger dude. He's a. He's not. He's not going to fuck up the passing game, but I don't think he's actually good there. He's you know he caught the ball almost two yards behind the line of scrimmage, negative one point seven a dot, and almost all of his receiving production was yak. So he's just catching the ball on a swing pass and like trucking a corner, which you know whatever. <laughs> right. But he's he wasn't as fast as a lot of people thought he would be, which kind of calls into question, like a lot of his production came from big runs, you know, in the open field, he was really good there. And if he's not fast enough to replicate that in the NFL, what, like, how does he succeed at the next level? But I do think he's, he's a good player. He breaks tackles, you know, whether he was, you know, doing it based on speed or just like vision and kind of cutback ability in the open field, he was good there in college. And so I think he's I think of him in the same way as I thought of like Divino Zigbo or Alex Barnes, you know, these guys who like are big dudes Alex who were athletic, efficient runners in college who could be good hypothetically in the NFL. Like, I still think Divino Zigbo would be a fine player if he got an opportunity, but he just isn't good enough at anything to like force a team to put him on the field.
0: Right. I think I think that's correct, actually, because, yeah, the 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 fact that he was kind of a big play player, but then wasn't a big time athlete kind of scares me a little bit because of level of competition. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, he, he did have some big games against some up, upper competition. I mean, he had a 266-yard, five-touchdown game against Virginia. But I don't even know, is Virginia any good? I mean, they sound like they're good, but they probably are terrible if he had that kind of game against them. But, like, you know, if you look at the the schedule, maybe it just wasn't as good. You know, I don't know. Um, I just don't know if he's good enough against, as you point out, against you know, upper level, uh, competition. It's always why I reference the size and speed and burst for a running back. It's like, because look at the linebackers and safeties and edge players in the NFL. They're all like fucking Uber elite athletes. Like there's no more guy who's got a marketing, you know, major at (laughs) Michigan. Who's like, you know, yeah, I'm pretty good, but you know, right. There's no more of those guys. Yeah, Those guys are all gone. It's all like elite dope athletes everywhere all over the field like jordan davis is I'm not sure if he's good enough to play at the next this guy's like the craziest athlete ever like these guys are elite athletes up and down everywhere so you have to have a little bit of you know skedaddle to you in order to get away from these motherfuckers you know and then they're big and strong they're going to take you down so you know having that requisite athleticism you know especially if as you point out your utility is man i was a big play player at byu it's like well not anymore motherfucker
1: yeah, yeah, and I think I think athleticism matters to different degrees for different archetypes of players. Like Damian Pierce ran, I believe, a four-five-nine, but he was never a big play guy. Yeah. That's not how he was right. effective. And so I don't really care that he ran a four-five nine. That's good enough for what he is. Whereas Algier was making a lot of his hay in the open field. If he's not fast, it calls into question, especially given the level of competition, like how good can he be in the NFL? One thing that I do think is in Algier's favor, which has nothing to do with his ability to play running back, is that he's a positional convert. He started his career as a linebacker. And so unlike Divino Zigbo, unlike Zach Zenner and Alex Barnes and some of these other like similar type guys, he offers value on like special teams and – you know, he, he might have that dog in him, you know, where he just offers this kind of ancillary value to a team where like if you're getting down to final cuts, it's a lot easier to cut a, you know, a, a man running back who offers nothing else versus a Tyler Algier who could, you know, be the, the up man on a punt or, you know, fill in on a, you know, on a yes. a field goal blocking unit or whatever it is. So,
0: yes. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy who can run and tackle. He's a former linebacker, so he can play on kickoff. He can play on kick return. He can play, you know, he can play in a lot of spots and yeah. he's probably very versatile in that way. So you're right. That's a good point. Um, I want to move down the list a little bit. Uh, w- Michael P Duncan certainly wants me to get to one of his favorite players, Pierre strong, who I think is a little bit of a sleeper, uh, tell the folks about Pierre strong and why we should be paying attention to him. I mean, Otherwise, I got to get Michael P. Duncan out of the green room. He's got to come out here and he's got to tell his story. I don't want that. The people, well, they might actually want that. But go ahead and tell the, tell the people why we should be interested in Pierre Strong. I think Pierre
1: Strong, I, I've been kind of back and forth on him as well. I initially was not interested just given that he was like – what was he? A four or five-year guy at a non-FBS program with Correct. not – super dominant production any any season he played. He had good raw counting stats, but not high like dominator ratings, not good market share numbers and things like that. And he's relatively tall and skinny. He's 5'11", 207, which that's like Tevin Coleman. That's like Bilal Powell. Uh, we need you to be an excellent receiver. It's hard to say that he is that. He had a relatively low dot, pretty low catch rate. He was used as a receiver. I don't know that he was especially dynamic there, but he's... A super explosive athlete and he was very efficient in college. And so I I really do think that like these Bilal Powell, you know, LaMichael James, Tevin Coleman type guys are decent comps for a guy like Pierre Strong. He's a bit of a tweener just like Jerome Ford is, but I'm I think I would take him ahead of Jerome Ford just given that I'm fairly confident that Jerome Ford is simply an athletic guy where Pierre Strong is it's harder to be certain about what he is given that he played this lower level of competition. And so the range of outcomes is just wider. And if I'm not certain that you're bad, I'm going to take the guy who has a better chance of being really good versus the guy who I'm pretty confident is just kind of decent. So Pierre Strong is interesting, even though I'm not confident that he's like that good of a player.
0: Yeah, I'm a little bit scared of Pierre Strong. He is a below 29 BMI, as you point out. He is also already... 23 years old. He'll be close to 24 come uh, NFL uh, uh, 2020 to start. Um, So I'm a little bit nervous. He was also quite an athlete though. I mean, ran a four, three, seven, he's very fast. So that's fun. But I'm, I'm afraid that he won't And you're right. Small school guy. So we're not exactly sure that he's going to get any draft capital either. So I think there's going to be a headwind for a guy like Pierre strong. Although, what a fun dude I mean first of all his name is Pierre strong <laughs> like come on that's mm-hmm. that's as good as it gets I mean you can't have a better name um but yeah I'm a little bit dubious um one of the guys that you mentioned earlier too is Max borgie I think Max Borgie gets improperly um typecast as a and, and Kyle Larson got to give him some credit he started to change my mind about Max Borgie a little bit he 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 also agreed that he gets improperly typecast as this sort of pass-catching guy. This is a pretty rocked-up dude. He's 5'9", 210. He's got a BMI of 31. He was pretty good between the tackles, or at least so I think, more so than what people think he was, is my point. Um, does your data share that, or what, what does your data say about Max Borgie and his utility going forward in the nfl should he get draft capital
1: yeah i kind of agree that this general sentiment on borgie is sort of it's almost opposite of what he actually is he was you know obviously a very prolific receiver early on in his career in the mike leach offense they changed offenses and he was not really that um in his what his final two seasons at at washington state but yeah he's five nine two ten he got
0: hurt apparently
1: Okay, yeah, he's 5'9", he's 210, so he's pretty stoutly built, even though he's a light guy. But as a receiver, he was basically a checkdown artist. His dot negative exactly. 1.4, and he was, you know, marginal efficiency. I don't even—I'm not even that confident that he's that good of a receiver in spite of his, like, high receptions totals and things like that. But he was very efficient on the ground. He breaks a decent amount of tackles. His bay rating is high. His chunk rate is like eight percent higher than the other guys at Washington State, and so I think my my kind of process likes Borgi more than I do because I I recognize that like the system is weird and you know the receptions totals maybe don't say as much as it seems they do about his ability as a receiver, and so I don't really know totally what to agree. think about him. But he's I, yeah. I agree that he's interesting because he has decent size, he caught a lot of passes, and he was an efficient runner who was relatively productive from a young age.
0: Yeah, my 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 sort of the 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 point is the 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 what people see is the 53 and 86 catches in his first 2 years and what did they all say? And he's white. What did they say? Christian McCaffrey and you're like no dude did you see what Christian McCaffrey did when he was uh he, he ran for like 2,000 yards and like returned fucking seven kicks for touchdowns this dude was nobody's fucking Christian McCaffrey this is a white guy that's all he is yeah. it's the only similarity and he played in an offense that throws Every down to like, you know, these little short little passes. And he caught 86 of those in one year. And he had 500 yards on those 86 catches. Like, yes, he's not a prolific downfield receiver. He's 5'9, 210. He was actually a pretty good runner of the football. A career yards per carry of 5.8. That includes after the injury. But in that, that one 2019 season, six and a half yards a carry, 11 touchdowns, 86 catches, like five touchdowns in the air. Like, I think he's being mistyped and he's not, uh, you know, that 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 Christian McCaffrey elite pass catcher guy. I think he's actually probably just an average running back, really. I mean, you know, in other words, I don't think he's this amazing back, but I think he actually has some three down, uh, you know, uh, usage in the NFL where he can catch passes because he's proven that. But I think he's a little bit more of a, a regular running back than he is some sort of scat back pass catcher guy.
1: Yeah, I, I think typically when I disagree with what like my process thinks that I should believe, I end up looking dumb in relation to what the process thinks. Like it's usually smarter than me. And so I'm at I'm at a point where I'm not really interested in Borgie because of all these like contextual factors that kind of indicate to me that like the pass catching is a little bit misleading, like James Williams a couple of years ago, was also yes. a very you know prolific receiver in the same offense, went undrafted, when he looked like the next James White. And so yes. Ma- Max Borgie is one of these he guys who— He looks
0: exactly like James White, by yes. the way. James yes. Williams was exactly going to be James White. We were so excited. And then zero.
1: Yeah, they were almost perfect comps for each other. And then, yeah, James yes. Williams is nothing. And so I-, I typically don't like to do this, but I- I'm very willing to defer to what the NFL thinks of Borgie given that it's like, it's two extremes, either like my process is right or I'm right. And if he goes like undrafted, which is, which is probably possible, I'll be like, okay, well, my, my, you know, kind of instincts were correct in that he had kind of a fraudulent profile. And if the NFL is interested, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, they like what they see. It's time to actually be interested. So I, I'm willing to defer to the NFL on Max Borgie.
0: I I totally, well, I think we're willing to defer to the NFL in a lot of situations. I mean, you know, once it's all said and done, we'll pick the guys that we kind of liked that didn't get drafted. Like, you you know, your process would be like, eh, not sure if I agree. I think this guy slipped just like we did with, I mean, we did it with James Robinson. We did it with, you know, we, we've been doing this. We've been picking the right guys over and over again that, that, that were overlooked from Aaron Jones to James Robinson to Elijah Mitchell. I'm sure, you know, I don't, I don't, I, don't know that you had the same guys, but I'm sure you did because it was it was real easy to just look and see that they were going to be at least above average players. that should have that were under drafted. That's what they were. Um, speaking of a guy that will get uh, under drafted potentially, I, I gotta ask, <laughs> Kyron Williams. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know what to ask here. I I don't know. I mean. Just go ahead and uh, take the flamethrower out and do what you do here with Kyron Williams. Talk to me here.
1: Okay. So everybody is out on Kyron Williams since he sucked at the combine. He came in at 194 pounds, which is like at least five pounds lighter than anybody thought he was. And he hasn't been athletic. So all these film grinders are now, you know, they got a free pass. They, They get to jump off the ship. Um, I was not on him since I first kind of compiled data on him, his box adjusted efficiency rating in the 26th percentile, his relative success rate in the 39th percentile. He was never a good runner. He kind of got this rap as like the next Aaron Jones, the next Austin Eckler, like undersized three down weapon when like a, he's, he's not as big as Aaron Jones is by like 15 pounds now. And B Aaron Jones was like incredibly efficient relative to the other guys at UTEP Austin Eckler was incredibly efficient relative to the other guys at Western State or whatever the fuck it was. Kyron Williams was not that. Fake
0: school. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Kyron Williams was not that at Notre Dame. And that's that's a more quality program than either Jones or Eckler went to, but he still wasn't good relative to his teammates. And I think he's a decent pass catcher. The degree of difficulty on his passes has not been high. He's got a negative A dot. I think he's generally like a decent check down guy. I don't know that he's some sort of like downfield weapon at running back. And now he's lighter than we thought. He's not athletic at all. Like he offers almost, there are almost no positive in his positives in his profile, other than having been a productive guy at a good program. But those dudes are a dime a dozen. Not all of them are good.
0: Yeah, I agree. And when we thought we were getting, you know, well, we, we said that the, the ceiling is, he better be Austin Eckler. In other words, if he's going to be small, he better be fast and, a dope athlete like Austin Eckler is. Cause that's what Austin Eckler, you know, just, mm-hmm. he can jump over. Like he, he's an unbelievable athlete. Well, he's not that. And so maybe this is our James white though. I mean, cause James white was not a very good athlete. Um, but he was a very skilled player. The film guys quote unquote, love Kyron Williams because, you know, he does look like he has good instincts and whatnot, which actually now makes sense because the only way he was successful was with skill, not with athleticism, obviously, because he ain't got none of that. So he wasn't athletic. He was just, and he's not big. So he's probably not going to be an elite NFL running back or almost certainly won't be, of course. And, but now maybe is he this guy that, you know, everybody loved his pass block and remember this, you know, so, He's an, he, you know, he's a good football player, maybe an outstanding football player in the body of someone that is not going to be a, an elite running back in the NFL. Is he possibly the the the, the, the sort of the James White guy who can be a mid round pick and and have some third down utility and, and just be a hell of a good football player in a in a more of a niche role?
1: I think that's possible. I do think that yeah. this uh, this this willingness to jump to James White. As the comp for all yeah. of these like satellite backs is a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of like Pollyanna effect here, where we find these guys yes. who we want to be good, and we're like, uh, but uh, but like James White was an RB one, James White, yeah, he could be that guy. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. like in reality, most yeah. of these dudes are like Theo Riddick, Tyler Irvin, like Boston Scott, yeah. Most of these guys are just like role player NFL guys, and even Theo Riddick is more productive than most of them, so. That's the yes. comp that I would make is probably theoretic. I mean, they both went to Notre Dame, so I guess that seems easy. But I don't know. They're both unathletic, small guys who caught a lot of passes. That seems appropriate to me. James White also was unathletic, caught a lot of passes, so that's reasonable. That's just at the very high end of the range of outcomes. So Correct.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean the the low right. He's somewhere between James Williams and James White, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly
0: either zero or yeah maybe a maybe a great pass catch. um another guy that uh i i think uh, we you know we could talk all day because there's literally a we got we got one that i'm saving for the very end i'm gonna let you yeah. go out on your on your boy you know what i'm talking about let the people sort of they're all they all know too some of them know already so uh, your your <laughs> fans already know who i'm gonna let, let you have last because okay. i love it Sounds so excited good. so excited so i'll let you have him last but Kennedy Brooks, man, you know, here's another guy, big school. Uh, he kind of gives me some of those Kevin Harris vibes where it's like, you know, maybe not to the same level, but somewhere in there where it's like, maybe are we overlooking Kevin Harris? What do you and your data say about me starting to get a little uh, excited about uh, Kennedy Brooks?
1: I I really like Kennedy Brooks for what he is. He's a little bit tall and skinny as well, which is not ideal um, for what he is. He's not a great pass catcher. He's definitely just a two down guy and he wasn't super athletic. He's like a four, six dude, um, not incredibly agile, things like that. But as a pure runner, I think he's one of the best guys in so this productive. class. Yeah, he was, you know, really productive playing with other good players at Oklahoma. Um, you know, he's he's yeah. the reason that like Ramondre Stevenson wasn't fully unlocked. He's the reason that Trey Sermon transferred. Um, he he breaks a lot of tackles. Yes. Yeah, his box adjusted efficiency rating and relative success rate are both high. And even though he runs a 4-6, he was excellent in the in the open field at you know at a relatively high level of competition. He was very efficient relative to very talented teammates at Oklahoma. I I I think he's I think Matt Waldman really likes him also. Um and so, you know, there's some sort of like film grinder appeal here, which a, a boring guy, not very big, not very athletic, but who is super efficient. That's that's what the film grinders like, and Kennedy Brooks is that dude. I don't I don't know that he's yeah. ever you know a a fantasy guy, but he, you know a guy like Peyton Barber is just so boring. Yeah. He he never catches passes. He sticks around and like steals people's fantasy production, but he's always efficient. He's always getting like fifty to one hundred carries a season. That could be Kennedy Brooks because Kennedy Brooks is just a solid dude.
0: Yeah. I think what we're learning is that a lot of these guys will probably be zeros. And, uh, you know, it. it, it is like I've, I've told people to like go back in different draft classes and just look at the running backs drafted in any single draft class. And like you're going to look at two names, be like, those guys are pretty good. Who the fuck are the rest of these guys, you know? And that's what happens. And many of these guys are going to be labeled under. Who the fuck are the rest of these guys someday? Like that's who they are, even though like because James Williams is the perfect example because, you know, we were all getting excited about all sorts of different players. James Williams, I think, literally has – does he have zero snaps played, right? He's never done – like I don't think he's ever gotten on. Yeah, I don't know that he's ever
1: actually played in a game, Yeah.
0: Right. So, I mean, here's a guy that we're like going to catch like a hundred targets, like, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, no, zero snaps is actually the fucking metric here, bro. So it's like, sometimes that is the, the outcome is sometimes literally net zero, like zero, zero, zero. And some of these guys will be that, you know, which is why you're looking at utility, but don't go, don't get overweight on any guy just because you're like, dude, that's the dude. Even my love for Elijah Mitchell, when he gets drafted in the sixth round, I'm like, okay. I mean, all right, I'll pick him in the third or fourth round of a rookie draft. Like, I like him. I'm going to take him above certain guys, but I'm not here to, like, tell you he's the greatest in the world. And, you know, because a lot of times you're going to be wrong. Sometimes you're going to get Elijah Mitchell. Other times you're going to get zero. So one last guy. I mean, we talked about Pierre Strong. He's got a great name, but the best name, the greatest name, the best player from the biggest schools. That's who we cover here. Julius. Chestnut, tell the world why Julius Chestnut will be the RB one next year for sure. Lock it in.
1: Yeah, Julius Chestnut is the RB one in twenty twenty two in in redraft leagues um, because he is big. He's two hundred twenty eight pounds. He ran four four seven at his pro day. Sacred Heart, which is where he went to school, is from a tiny conference in the FCS, uh, somewhere in like fucking Maine or something. They didn't even have a pro day. He had to go to UConn's pro day where he ran a four, four, seven at 228 pounds. I don't know what, what speed score that is, but it's good. He wasn't a great pass catcher. Okay. He wasn't a high volume pass catcher in college, but he was targeted 8.1 yards downfield on average, averaged (laughs) 11.5 yards per target, 14.7 yards per reception on a 10.1% target share. So given the offense he was in, he was used a lot, used dynamically. And as a runner, he was incredible. 0.31 missed tackles force per attempt. That's higher than Tyler Algier. That's higher than Brees Hall. That's higher than Jerome Ford. That's higher than pretty much every running back in this class. He averaged two yards per carry greater than the other guys at Sacred Heart, which is team relative efficiency better than what Austin Eckler, Chase Edmonds, David Johnson, James Robinson, like all these small school studs Julius Chestnut outdid them relative to his teammates in college, and his production is absolutely off the charts. His sophomore year, he posted a 46% dominator rating, which is in like the 98th percentile. His junior season, his true junior season, in only five games played, that was 2020, shortened season due to COVID. I believe that was a spring season. He had a 60% dominator rating, which is the highest junior year dominator rating, the highest dominator rating of any season of any player in my database going back to at least 2007. And then he played five games again this last year, got hurt, but in those five games, he had a 31% dominator rating. So he is, you know, level of competition caveats apply, but based on market share stats, he's the most dominant player in the history of college football, at least among players who go on to be drafted to the NFL in the last 15 years. He's big and fast. He was a, he was a dynamic receiver on limited work and he was one of the most efficient small school running backs we've seen come out in a long time.
0: And his name is Julius Chestnut. I want it. 5'11, 228 is what I what I have here in front of me. I mean, big size. I mean, just, you know, it's for the coolness factor. For we just sure. want Julius Chestnut to get drafted. Yeah, it's the coolness factor. You, you want to be the cool guy in your league, you pick fucking Julius Chestnut. Yeah. Um. But it's true. I mean, sometimes these guys do come from nowhere. You know, running backs just need to be good. I mean, you know, look, opportunity is going to be the thing that that, that is the question here. But if he can get some sort of way, and it's just like the James Robinson thing, right? Like James Robinson, I, I always say, if you run the sim a thousand times, James Robinson probably doesn't even get on the field in his rookie season, like 500 of them, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, cause he was behind NyQuil, Armstead, uh, the other jerk off and Fournette, you know? So there was like three dudes ahead of him, And I think wasn't Chris Thompson. I, he had, yeah. there was just a lot, a lot of, a lot of shrubbery in the way and the machete just fucking cleared them all out with one swoop. Like, you know, they had pandemic, they had this, that, and the like everything dysfunctional franchise, release Fournette, this, that, and the other. Like, it just worked out for him. And then, you know, the rest is so, so, so uh, history, so to speak. But, you know, undrafted guys don't normally get that. Look, it's very unlikely Julius Chestnut finds his way onto an NFL field. But if he does, just be ready for Saquon Barkley 2.0 is all <laughs> I'm saying.
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah, th- th- yeah. The uh, <laughs> you know the possibility that any of these guys hit is is pretty low. Like you said, James Robinson had an yeah. injury to Leonard Fournette, and then to Travis Etienne, and that was back to back seasons, I think, um, that allowed him to you know yeah. be the lead runner there. And so you know, just yeah. get this guy in the room, get him on it on a practice field, let him make a team, and then we'll see what happens. But you know, among yeah, small absolutely. school guys, he has as good a profile as any guy we've seen in a long time. So.
0: So we talked about a lot of players. Is there anybody that we didn't get to that you were like, hey, I'm surprised you didn't like Ty Chandler? Is there anybody that you're like, you know who I like that you didn't mention was or did I hit them all?
1: The one guy that I haven't really talked about much at all, but who I really like is Bryant Kobach out of Toledo. He is uh 5'11, 209 pounds, so a little bit undersized, a little bit tall, but he ran 449 on his pro day. He had he ran Yeah, I saw this guy. Yeah, he he's got a 40 yeah. and a half oh, inch going, vertical. Sorry, leap.
0: I'm remembering this guy.
1: Mhm. And he was he has uh good receiving production. He got 66 passes in college. He was targeted 1.2 yards downfield on average, 14% target share. And, you know, he's he's a tackle breaker. He was productive at Toledo. And he had a really, really bad 2020 season that kind of deflates his overall efficiency numbers. But outside of that, which, you know, it's generally not good process to just ignore a player's worst season. But he's not getting any buzz. So, like, we're just taking shots in the late rounds of rookie drafts here. You know, in, in the world where, like, maybe he was nursing some sort of unreported injury that year, or maybe he wasn't able to participate in an off-season program because of COVID. You know, whatever happened in 2020, if that was an aberration, he was excellent every other season he played. He's got near workhorse size. He's a pass catcher. He's athletic. He was productive. Bryant Kobach is, I think he's a good player, and he's probably in my top 10 running backs in this class.
0: Wow, that's strong. I, You know, it's funny because every year I do the thing where I try to find the Elijah Mitchell, James Robinson guy. And he made the list of those guys. Like I was like, huh? Because you're right. You look at his production and he's a career six yards per carry. He's, you know, he's, he had a uh, 1400 yards on the ground and senior seen, uh, well, I guess it's a red shirt junior year or whatever. His, mm-hmm. his final season, his fourth year, 6.7 per carry, 15 touchdowns that year, 30 catches, for eleven point one per catch, like he's a career ten yards per catch. He's got fifty two career touchdowns. Like I don't know, man. This guy is over six six point three yards per touch for his entire career. The body type on this guy, still, you know, a pretty big guy. You know, um, did you see what he was measured out at? Because I, I know he wasn't invited to the combine. Did did, yeah. uh, did you see a pro day or an official measurement for him?
1: Yeah, he was five ten and six eighths of an inch and two hundred nine pounds. So he's kind of got that Jerome Ford body type, but. I think he's a good pass catcher where like Jerome Ford and some of the – and Kennedy Brooks, like those guys aren't really. And I don't see any reason why like sincere McCormick should be getting buzzed in this class as a small school productive guy and Bryant Kobach shouldn't be. He was a better receiver. Yeah, He was just as productive. He's bigger. He's faster. Why is Bryant Kobach not the sexy, sleeper, small school guy and sincere McCormick gets buzzed? Like why are people paying attention to guys who were never good in college like Isaiah Pacheco and Devontae Price – over somebody like brian kobach i i don't understand it
0: did you get any workout metrics on this guy too i don't see shit yeah. about this guy did he have a pro day
1: yeah he did um he ran four four nine he had a 40 40 and a half fuck? inch vert uh 10 four in what? the broad uh his agility is decent 28 reps on the bench he's yes. the, the guy's a workout this warrior who was a good player in college i don't understand why no one gives a shit
0: yeah, what, what is, what, like, did he, did he, did he, what did, what did he do? Like, there's got to be, we got to get the investigators on this motherfucker because you're right. I didn't know he was that kind of an athlete, too. This is incredible. Brian Kobach, now RB1, Julius <laughs> Chestnut, RB2. I go. think we can safely say. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we can safely say. Yeah, dude, I love this guy. I remember looking at this guy early in the process and, like, you know, sort of the peripheral stats were, like, good. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just one of those, like, Situations where he's you know good player on a good team that just opened everything up for him and you know whatever. But now you tell me he jumps out of the building and runs a four four nine like all right adjusted. He's a four five five player. That's plenty for this kind of size. I mean you know when you I watched some film on him. There's some clear running paths like like a lot of times he's just running you know free. But dude, it's college football happens all the time. But I think there's definitely some other spots where he shows. First of all, he's a great pass catcher. You pointed it out. I I think this is a great call by you. So Brian Kobach on the list. I'm moving him up my rankings immediately. Thanks to the great Noah Hills. So just like that, I've already adjusted my rankings. I was messing with him during the whole whole podcast. I was busy. I didn't even pay attention to what he was saying. I was fixing my (laughs) rankings all the time. Thank you, Noah Hills, for coming on the show. Tell the fine people where they can find your awesome work. Because you're all over the place. So tell everybody where they can find your 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 work, especially your most recent stuff.
1: Yeah, you can find my written work at BreakoutFinder.com and PlayerProfiler.com. Um, you can find my video work on Wednesdays and Sundays on the BDGE YouTube channel. I have a weekly podcast that's just like 15 minutes long, uh, Devi-focused, where I dive into the profile of like one Devi running back um, called the Hero RB Show. That's on the Campus to Canton podcast feed. Um, And other than that, I am spewing bullshit on Twitter. So find me there at no more parties.
0: Bingo. That's exactly this guy. Love this guy. No more parties. No, Noah Hills. One of my favorite new faces in this space. Absolutely love him. So thank you so much, Noah, for coming on. You were outstanding as always.
1: Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me. This is a good time.
0: Yeah, man. On behalf of everybody here at the undroppables on behalf of of everybody here at The Undrafted on behalf of the greatest producer the world has ever known, Michael P. Duncan, on behalf of the awesome Noah Hills, I am Jax Falcone, and we are...